Leicester Farming Programme with our equipped steel stockholders, Withambrook Industrial Estate Gransom. For all your steel needs, call their friendly experts. As Red Tractor is accused of going too green, we hear from a Lincolnshire company introducing a green tractor scheme. They are not connected. So the farmer who chose a green tractor collector would have the, the comfort of knowing that his plastic off the farm would be recycled in a responsible way. Lincolnshire produced baked beans take a step closer to the supermarket shelves. It is going to be a while, which is a shame, but we have to start somewhere. And, uh, and for us to be involved in that and the county is just an absolute fantastic for the county to be at the forefront of this new crop. And we look ahead to one of the great sites for a Lincolnshire Christmas. Plus some important agronomy advice, the markets and the week's farming news and weather. The Week in Agriculture. This is the Farming Programme with Steve Orchard. The rain continues. Will it ever stop? Not this week, sorry. Hope you've had a good one. I'm Steve Orchard. Welcome to the Farming Programme podcast. In the news this week, British Sugar has put a new offer to growers, but there's still no agreement with NFU Sugar. The offer is £40 a tonne fixed, matching the price for the current crop, or £38 a tonne plus a market-linked bonus. And this follows, quote, intense negotiations with the NFU, but agreement around the futures contract remains unresolved. This leaves the validity of any contract made in relation to the British sugar offer in doubt. The vegan movement has taken a double hit this week, with Dorset set to become the fifth council to defy a plant-based movement and a scientist behind a new study warning that vegan diets, along with a reduction in meat and dairy consumption, could have lasting effects on unborn children. A study by the University of Southampton found that most women surveyed were missing essential nutrients found in abundance in meat and dairy products. The county is a TB4 area, but a significant part of Lincolnshire is classed as a TB hotspot. Cattle brought to market need to be accompanied by the TB test certificate, showing a clear result within the previous 60 days. Livestock farmers are being reminded of changes to vet attestation rules coming into force this week, where a signed declaration will be required to allow the sale of animals destined for export. And a consortium of over 20 farming industry groups are pushing farmers to reach net zero by diversifying their arable and forage cropping. And we'll be attempting to demystify net zero and carbon credits on next week's programme. Now, I'm sure you've seen Jeremy Clarkson's recent article in The Times about red tractor morphing into green tractor, and that's not really what the scheme was set up for. One Lincolnshire company has launched a green tractor scheme that might be of benefit not just to Mr Clarkson but to the rest of us, and it has no connection to the much-criticised red tractor scheme. It's all about recycling, and here's AgriCycle's MD Robert Moore to tell us more, starting with a bit of background to the company. Well, AgriCycle was formed uh, way back in 2005, following the, the agricultural waste regulations that were coming in. And at the time, farmers could uh, burn, bury skip anything with their waste. There was no legislation there to say they had to handle it properly like industry. So at that time, we looked at what we were doing and we decided that uh, we would set a scheme up to collect it and then we would separate it and send it off for recycling. But as we looked into it, we couldn't find anybody that would recycle it. So basically we decided, well, we'll do it ourselves. And that's how AgriCycle was born into the, into the guise it is now. So we did that, uh, and then we went and got franchises to help collect the plastic waste from farms. 
In the meantime, we were developing a, a system at Lincoln ready to process it or bail it and move it on, whatever we were going to do with it. Today, AgriCycle collects the waste or has it delivered to hubs uh, around the country, and then we collect it from those hubs, bring it back to Lincoln, where some of it is processed here and some of it is separated, bailed, and sent for further process down the line at other as other recyclers that specialise in, in the different commodities that we supply them. And they would be PP bags, chemical cans, plant pots, uh, string, anything that a farm produces that's plastic, we will take and we will uh, send it on or recycle ourselves to be properly handled. So that's how AgriCycle was born. And even things like shotgun cartridges, I gather. Yep, shotgun cartridges. Um, way back, uh, I think it probably be about 12 years ago now, one of our farmer customers at the time said, um, you know, can you do shotgun cartridges? So these shotgun cartridges arrived, and I was only expecting a couple of bags full, and there was actually six ton arrived. Um, so six we, tons we kept of them. shotgun cartridges. That is a lot of shotgun six cartridges. Tons. It is. Believe you me, I was shocked when it arrived. Um, but these sat here while we developed and designed a system that would separate the metal from the from the plastic. And at the particular time, uh, we, we built a plant that would do around about 200 million cartridges per year. But we found that was quite uh, labour-intensive. So we did some more modifications on the line and we developed a bit more. So the line now will currently process in the region of 1.6 billion cartridges. Wow. If we run it 24, if we run it 24 hours a day. Wow. Um, so what we do is we have a dedicated line for cartridges. So when the cartridges arrive, we put them through this line and we separate the, the plastics and separate the metal. The metal goes off for further recycling to the to the steelworks, and the plastic then gets washed, shredded, granulated, and that's sent on to end the closed loop. So it's sent on to an end user where it's made into drainage pipe. Brilliant. Now um, we talked about on the program the red tractor scheme the if you like the national red tractor scheme which has been called out by various people including mr clarkson for rather going in the direction of being a green tractor scheme but you have actually introduced a green tractor scheme do you want to tell me a bit about that yeah so back in 2019 we were talking uh agricycle to to other collectors uh we decided that we would form a, a group to aid recycling and we wanted to, to do this to uh, get a standard within the industry. So the green tractor was born. It's it's designed so that the farmer has choice. The farmer can choose who he wants to recycle with uh, and the people that you, or the companies you recycle with, they would be green tractor members. So we're looking for collectors to join our scheme and those collectors would get individually audited just to make sure that they are separating it, they are forwarding it on to, to, to be recycled properly, they weren't just burning it or sticking it in a hole. So the farmer who chose a green tractor collector would have the, the comfort of knowing that his plastic off the farm would be recycled in a responsible way. 
Um, the, the, the whole aim was to give the farmer choice and educate how to present their plastic in the best form for the cheapest, cheapest cost to the farmer. So to be a green tractor farmer, it doesn't cost you anything at all. You can choose who you want to recycle. And as long as you recycle with a green tractor collectively, you'll know that your plastic is being recycled in a responsible way. That is how we've been doing it. That's great from a, a farmer's point of view. What does a processor or a recycling company have to do to become green tractor approved, apart from the yeah. audit that you mentioned before? A green tractor collector collects his plastic from, from the farmer or receives it, and he, he separates it or, or bales it up ready for future or further process down the line. Um, this myth about, you know, bailing all up, sending it to China, uh, that, that's, that's not quite right. Um, it is recycled within the UK and Europe. And if it does go to further afield to be recycled, it is to, to proper audited premises where it goes. That's how it works. And, and to be a member or a collector, like I said, they, they apply to the green tractor. We look at them. Yep, that's great. You're doing it all right. Uh, and then you can be a green tractor member. How many members have you got on the go at the moment? If you um, go over the whole the whole aspect of the country, we've probably got in the region of 75 to 80 collectors. So, Robert, how did you feel when you saw the Times article from Jeremy Clarkson headlined, We Don't Need a Green Tractor Scheme? When you read the article, it is all about the red tractor and how they're trying to force something down. But like you know, anything Jeremy Clarkson does, as you know from the Clarkson's farm, is brutally to the point but in a light-hearted way that tries to, you know, um, put the point across. No, it's fair it comment. It that very, very well. It's fair comment, as you say, that this is nothing to do with Red Tractor. If Red Tractor goes down nothing. the green route, it's not what we're talking about here in terms of recycling. It's just his opinion that they're trying to impose yeah. more green requirements on a scheme that was set up really yeah. just to be food is produced in the UK and here we can prove it. Where could a farmer or maybe a collector who's interested in the scheme go for more information, Robert? Call the Green Tractor. You can go onto the website. You'll see the, the Green Tractor has a website. Contact them and then the Green Tractor gets back in touch with those to put them in the right direction. Robert Moore, MD of AgriCycle, thanks for joining us on the farming programme this morning. No, it's a pleasure. Thank you very much. That website is thegreentractorscheme.co.uk. Time to get the wellies and waterproofs on for a walk through the fields with his weekly crop report and some time the agronomy advice. It's a damp Sean Sparling. Morning, Sean. Yes, morning, Steve. It's incessant, isn't it? Another wet old lot again this week. Over 45 mil more of the wet stuff for me since last time we spoke, including, of course, waking up to three inches of snow last weekend, which, according to a genius at Lincolnshire County Council, was a problem to the county because it came from the west and we weren't ready for it because we usually get our snow from the east. These people walk among us and they look like normal people as well it's frightening isn't it so as i said last week to a huge and audible collective gasp of thank god for that across our listenership my bits are going to get smaller in the coming weeks so so small that you won't even hear them at all for a few weeks over christmas and into the new year so this week being no exception it's going to be necessarily short and sweet not much agronomically to say about what's out there that i haven't said ad nauseum over the last two or three weeks anyway so here it is a series of proper frosts another run of minus threes and fours despite a lovely day on 
Wednesday with pretty much unbroken sunshine all day, we're back to square one again after this last few days dropping another inch and more rain onto land that can barely hold what it's already got. So the drilling window looks now to be pretty much closed up, locked and shuttered on anything but heath, plough and drill land after Sugarbeet. Mind you, very interesting to see plenty of hard frosted wheats in the bright winter morning sunshine on Wednesday. Fields that have looked awful and moth-eaten suddenly quite clearly visible almost in full rows and looking far more respectable than initially thought because those brown leaves are these slow emerging crops. Whether they're chlorotic leaves were caused by the recent frost from herbicide uptake, from waterlogging and then the root damage that results from those wet feet or as a result of nitrogen and sulphur leaching through and down the profile or other nutrient deficiencies. It was with more than a little bit of relief in some of my fields that that thin coating of rime let me see things in a very different light. Might not be as bright a light as it needed to be but things perhaps not quite as dire as we thought they were in some of these fields. Easy to miss those brown plants as they blend in with the ground particularly where other plants have stayed green in the rows creating what appear to be huge gaps in the field from a distance but even in those sluggy areas in some of the fields that that bit of rime just shows how much leaf there actually is still there. It's not a reason to do cartwheels I suppose and no reason to drop your guard against slugs in those areas but it's just something that cheered me up a little bit on the only nice day of the week really. Interesting too I think that where fields have been drilled using undressed wheat seed and plenty of those were squeezed in across the county this year. Any odd area in the same fields that were drilled using wheat that was dressed with even a single purpose dressing is noticeably later emerging than those untreated seed areas and it just shows the effect that a seed dressing has on the speed of emergence sometimes. And also another reason to give some of these later drillings a little bit more benefit of the doubt because they too may be a little bit better than they look over time. As I said last week though, nothing we can do about them at the moment, certainly can't re-drill them and especially after the 50 mil or so rain we've already taken this month. So on top of the 250 mil and more we've taken since the beginning of October, as of today I now show over 860 millimetres for this year, almost 100 mil more than I've ever recorded in 12 months and we've still got 21 days to go. So clearly spring drilling is going to be the most likely outcome of this harvest next year and if you're planning to drill using seed off the heap in your own store just make sure you know what you're dealing with get it tested and get it done sooner rather than later there could be a bit of a rush and a backlog with people doing that in the new year so the early bird and all that have it tested for germination best to have a full germination test done and of course vigor and loose smut in particular and make sure that you let the lab know if it had glyphosate before it was harvested if it was timed properly that shouldn't be an issue on the seed but it's best to know all aspects of what you're going to be dealing with particularly if you're planning to drill the stuff you know the last thing you're going to need is a failed spring crop if the germination percentage is down or if you've got higher than expected abnormal grains because of that at least you can up the seed rate accordingly rather than just blunder in with a bag and a half like you've always drilled loose smut though it's been a real increasing issue in spring barley over the last few seasons and seed dressings are the only reliable source of control with that disease so it's important to know what you're dealing with and therefore choose your seed dressing wisely off the back of what you then find out from those tests. We know that seedling fusarium, microdochium nivale etc they tend to be much less of a problem in spring crops because they're generally drilled into warming soils rather than seeds drilled into tepid and cooling soils through the autumn but don't underestimate what loose smut can do to a crop of spring barley. Speak to your advisor about that and also bear in mind that 
as is becoming much clearer by the day now, demand's going to totally outstrip supplies of spring seed. So do remember that if you're drilling home save seed, it needs to have been saved from your own holding and has to be declared to the British Society of Plant Breeders. So unless the seed you're drilling has been overwintered from a previous year or grown on your own farm last year, it may just be hard to explain where it's come from if you get an inspection. I'm just saying, be aware of the rules around home save seed. Mind you, I'm sure that any barley that comes in from outside the UK next harvest will have been thoroughly checked by a red tractor to have only been grown on from seed that was drilled off the heap on that farm from the previous year. Thankfully for UK agriculture, it's not like there was one rule for us under that scheme and another whole set of rules which are routinely and blatantly ignored for the rest of them now, is it? On that bombshell, let's see what the next seven days bring. Thanks as ever, Sean. Still to come on the Farming Programme podcast, we'll open up a whole new can of brackets Lincolnshire, close brackets, beans. Hear about one of the best Christmas sites in the area, see how the markets are doing and get the weather for the week ahead. The Farming Programme with Araquip Steel Stockholders with Umbrook Industrial Estate Grantham. BSI ISO 9001 accredited. Over recent months, we've kept up to date with the progress of Lincolnshire baked beans. They're now in the tin. And Andrew Ward's here with the latest. Andrew, I was surprised when you told me that they're cooked after they're canned. I rather assumed it was the other way around. I was actually surprised at that as well and didn't realise the process. Um, the beans, when they're, when we harvested them, were only about the size of a pea. You saw them. You know, I showed them to you a few weeks ago. And then what they do is they soak them in water for a about 12 hours and when they've soaked them in water they then swell up to probably two and a half times the size they are when they're dry then they put them in uh, they soak the water off drain the water off and they go in a tin now the amount of beans they put in a tin is only 150 grams dry weight and by the time they're soaked it's about 175 grams of, of wet weight they then pour the sauce in and the sauce is all pre-mixed in in the tin they then seal the tin up And then they are steamed and cooked in the tin, which I didn't realise this. And it goes into a giant steamer, not not for long, it's, it's, it's quite a short process. And then when they come out, they're still another week fermenting and getting to the best. So they'll go through the packing line, have the labels put on the tin, they then go into the boxes and all the packaging, but all that time the beans are still getting to the best and it's a week later when the juices and the sauce gets into the bean and the proteins and all the goodness from the bean goes into the sauce. That's when we end up with our tin of baked beans as we know them. Yeah. Now let's just take a step back here because... The University of Warwick, as we know, did a lot of research Mm. to get to the point where the crops went into the ground on your farm. You grew them, you harvested them. Now they've gone to princes to be cooked and canned. What's the next step, Andrew? Is this going to be a viable crop for the UK? Because there was problems, wasn't there, over the years that the weather just wasn't up to Mm. it in the UK to grow the beans that become baked beans. Yes. Now that you've got over that part... Where next? Well, the only reason that we've got over that part is because we've ha- the, the Warwick University, and this is their involvement, have had to breed a new variety because the varieties that were being tried before were Canadian and, and American varieties and they just weren't suited to the way we farm, the way our, our weather is, our soils and everything we do in, in, in England to produce food. So they had to start again, really, and, and breed, breed a new variety. And because of that, there is only a limited amount of seed So we had all the seed there was last year to grow these 12 acres that that we grew. 
There's about a tonne and a half, maybe two tonnes, is going to be let go and go to Prince's. They haven't had that quantity yet. All they've done at the moment this week is the preliminary baking and cooking test, if you like, in their, in their kitchen. So the big quantity's got to go to them. But, of course, we need to then keep as many back as we can to then grow more acres next year, which is, which is what we're trying to do. But we think that it's going to be probably harvest 2026 before there's enough beans grown to, to actually produce enough to say, right, there's a decent volume. But even then, and it, it will be beyond what we can grow on the farm at Leadenham, we'll have to get other farmers involved. Even then, we think by 2026, there'll only be enough beans uh, harvested and grown to produce enough for one week's supply in the country. And of course, some of these are going to have to be held back to be seed. Yep. For yeah, years, after that, so this really is a long term. It's, it's a long term thing, and this is why, because it's such early stages yet, it is going to be a while before any are seen on the supermarket shelf, which is a shame. But we have to start somewhere, and uh, and for us to be involved in that, and the county is just an absolute fantastic for the county to be at the forefront of this this sort of uh, the new new crop. Absolutely, but it's such a shame, really, that given the millions of tins of beans that are sold every day across the country, none of them, to this point, are produced in the UK. It's absolutely crazy that wherever you go, you have breakfast in a cafe, you have breakfast in a hotel, there'll be a little pot of, little pot of beans with your breakfast. It is one of the main foods that, that we eat. And as you say, for it not to be grown in the UK and for every single tonne to be imported is absolutely crazy. I guess the $64,000 question is going to come when we actually taste these baked beans. Yes, there was only a few tins done the other day um, and there have a few tins been, been uh, escaped and got out onto Lincoln High Street and people have tested them and tasted them and actually whoever, if you're listening and you have tasted them, you've done better than I have because I couldn't come away with a tin and so I haven't actually tasted them yet but I will be getting some, might get my hands on some in the, hopefully in the next few days. I'm sure they're absolutely delicious. <laughs> they couldn't produce anything in Lincolnshire that wasn't delicious. Exactly. And, and that's the biggest thing, though, Steve, is the last thing we wanted was for people to taste them and say, oh, they're vile, they're awful. Most people who taste them said, well, they're just like normal baked beans. And a few people said they taste better than the standard beans you'd buy in a supermarket. So, which, of course, all those things are what we wanted to hear. Well, that's it. You, don't, you certainly don't want them to be worse, but if they are as good as... Yeah then that's, it, it. that's a result it, to start that's with, a result but i didn't realize that when when you go to um come to when you go to prince's there are a number of beans around in in like um, a lot of supermarkets will have their own brand of baked beans and there's branston beans and there's bakewell beans i think there's a lot of um different brands but um prince's actually they actually cook and bake and make a lot of the beans that you see on a supermarket shelf that will have a supermarket own brand are actually made at prince's in lincolnshire and I guess let's just hope that it's a viable crop because this is the thing. We might grow something that's nice and tasty and works in the tin, but if it costs more than it, than it gets back in production... Yeah, that, that is absolutely the crucial thing, and, and you're quite right. And at the moment, there's enough hype about the cost of food and the cost of what a farmer gets in growing it, and that is the biggest thing, that it needs to be viable for us. We need to be able to invest in the future of the industry, the farm, but it needs to be profitable. And, and if imported 
uh, beans are, are cheaper to grow, then, then that's not good. But I think just, just for listeners, it's important to realise that sometimes some of the imported food, not, I'm not just talking about beans here, it's other foods as well, are cheaper to grow because other countries can use products that we're not allowed to use here. And those products that they use are cheaper than what we use. And that is the problem that, that the playing field isn't level. And it's got to be that balance between the buyer, the purchaser mm. in the supermarket or wherever, a fair price to them, but a fair price to the farmer. And that's the difficult thing, not just with beans, but with every with ev- every food produce. Absolutely everything. That is exactly right. And, and uh, you know, it's great. We've got the, I think, farming at the moment is is held in quite high esteem with the British public. And, and you know, thank you to everybody who supports British agriculture, because I know as a huge amount of people do, we can't do this without support of the, of, of the public. So thank you. But it, the, the problem we've got is that imports are coming in at an alarming rate. And we need to make that percentage of imports lower so we have more homegrown food all right andrew we'll look forward to seeing wardy's beans on the shelf in the supermarket before too long yeah and uh, yeah congratulations for getting the crop to this point and obviously it'd be nice to see it go on long term to be a successful crop for the uk it would yeah thank you steve everybody just watch watch, uh, watch wardy's waffle on youtube you'll see the whole process going on but yeah fingers crossed for the future and we grow more acres Great stuff. Thanks, Andrew. Thank you, Steve. Links FM Farming Market Reports. Starting with livestock and from Mason's Rural at Louth Livestock Market. Good morning to Henry Simpson. Good morning, Steve. Starting off with the prime cattle, the prime heifer saw an oil an average of 289 pence per kilo, and the prime steer saw an oil an average of 259 pence per kilo. Top of this week's market was F. Wallace and Son of Biscothorpe, with a prime heifer weighing 600 kilos, topping at £1,737 per head, or 289 pence per kilo. John Scotia Bournemouth saw a top in the steers to £1,582 per head or 259 pence per kilo. Now moving on to the cool cows, this week saw an all an average of 119 pence per kilo, with a top from RE Needham Son of Gate in the World to 119.5 pence per kilo. This week was a store cattle week and the store steers saw an all an average of £928 per head and the heifers all an average £860 per head. Top in this week's market was WH Son of Adelthorpe with a limousine heifer to £1,000 per head. And A.W. Lewis and Son of Grainthorpe saw a top at £980 per head twice for a 14-month-old limousine steer. That wraps up the cattle and now moving on to the sheep. The prime lambs saw an SQQ of 249.24 pence per kilo and or an average of 249.24 pence per kilo also. Top in this week's market with H. Smith and Son of Mablethorpe to £145 per head or 287 pence per kilo. Now moving on to the core use, which just a handful entered this week. So an average per head of £105.93, just showing how strong that trade was. With a top going to Tom Ogg to £148 per head. A big thank you to everyone who supports the market week in, week out. That goes to all buyers, vendors and staff. And just a reminder, we are selling again tomorrow. So we are taking entries for all prime and cool cows, as well as prime, cool and store sheep. So please don't hesitate to contact Edward Middleton on the usual market number for all marketing inquiries. It's been Henry Simpson and Mason's Real Team. Thank you. Thanks, Henry. And with the latest from the grain markets and guide prices, Open Fields Kit Dickinson. Morning, Kit. Good morning, Steve. The wheat market continues to dip up and down in the 190s with no real direction going forward. Although we have uncertainty all over the world with weather, politics and war, this has not affected the grain market either way. A driving force and direction is what is needed, but it looks unlikely we will find this pre-Christmas. 
It appears that China found the recent collapse in U.S. wheat markets too good an opportunity to pass up, with over 1 million metric tons of U.S. soft-red winter wheat reported in flash sales this week to China. The U.S. soft-red winter wheat sales to date are now 90% complete of the forecast, with half of the season still to go. Traders are keenly following the weather developments in Brazil, which continues too dry in the north and the central and eastern regions, despite some scattered showers, and too wet in the south. Delayed soybean plantings have implicated their safrina maize crop, with some talk of replanting soybeans and switching to cotton crops instead. Looking at barley, Chinese demand has driven mainly the US markets higher this week. European futures remain subdued as the battle against cheaper origins from the Black Sea continues. Malting barley premiums remain firm, however, this would be on the back of cheaper feed barley values as it attempts to compete against the export basis to find demand. Brewer demand on the continent and domestically is very slow, but the EU and UK crop is well back on previous years, and it is perhaps a case of who blinks first for the remainder of the season. Oilseed rape, after breaking above €450 resistance last week, the Matif rapeseed struggled to hold that momentum. The market focus has been on Brazilian weather, with concerns that the hot and dry weather have been reducing the soybean yield potential with the world's top producer. Plantings have been delayed, with the latest report from AgRural showing 85% of the expected area to be planted, lagging behind last year's 91% at this point. Recent forecasts of wet weather in Brazil have pressured the market, with Chicago soybeans trading at a one-month low as concerns over crop losses have eased. Attention will be on the World Agricultural Supply and Demand Estimates report and the Brazilian soy crop numbers, which are coming out very soon. Looking at prices this week, wheat January 176 to 186, March 180 to 190, May 184 to 194, November new crop 194 to 204. Milling wheat premiums are circa £60 currently. Feed barley for January 148 to 158, March 152 to 162, May 154 to 164, and November new crop 165 to 175. For malting barley premiums, please do resample and speak to your local open field farm business manager. And lastly, all seed rape January 335 to 345, March 337 to 347, and May 339 to 349. Thanks, Kit. The Farming Programme. Five-day forecast. Plenty of rain today and on Tuesday. Otherwise, it's just drizzle at times this week. Daytime highs around 7 or 8 Celsius, down to 4 or 5 overnight. Mostly light and variable breezes all week after the wind dies down later today. The pressure starts to build later in the week as we turn dry, cold and clear by Friday. Finally, one of the great sights around the county this time of year, really getting us in the mood for Christmas, is the annual Louth Charity Tractor Run. Delighted to welcome back organiser Taryn Lee. What's the route going to be this year, Taryn? The route's the same as last year, barring we're adding two extra villages on, so we're going closer to Grimsby. We're doing Tetney and Holton and Clay and then coming back down the A16 and, and carrying on at North Thorsby, Ludborough and back into Louth. And I saw a comment on social media about increased charge and restrictions on the tractors. What's that all about? Yeah, so the increased charge is nothing really. This is our fourth year. Second year we did it, we charged £20, but we, it was only in Louth. So we had no traffic management. We didn't need a lot of expenses to be paid for. But because we're doing it bigger and bigger, and this year we're 41 miles long, the traffic management costs a lot more. It's just stuff that we have to have in place to make sure it's a safe event. And what's this about minimum speed requirements for the tractors? 
Um, we'd like the tractors to be able to do 20 miles an hour. Now, some of the vintage tractors don't do 20 miles an hour. So we had a comment on Facebook saying that we was discriminating against the vintage boys and girls. We're not. It's what gets set up in the legislation that we have to abide by with the Road Traffic Act. Uh, when we're doing this tractor run, and because we're going further afield and we're going on major roads, we need to be able to get fairly pace on in between the villages. Not only that, if we did 15 miles an hour everywhere, uh, it would take us a lot longer to do the route. And, you, you know, 41 miles doing 15 miles an hour, it's going to take you a few hours. I mean, if people wanted to join on on the back of the thing, you know, we'd say, oh, well, my tractor would only do 18 miles an hour. Would you mind if I join in going round Louth or hang on at the back, no, not a problem, give us a ring, we'll sort something out. And what's the situation, Taran, regarding red or white diesel? So you're allowed to use red diesel on any charity tractor event. Uh, Ollie Bloggs got it passed in Parliament that any tractor event you're allowed to use red diesel and you don't have to use white. So, yeah, that's, that's absolutely clear that red diesel is OK. And the public will be able to watch along the route, will they? Yes, they will, yeah, yeah. We've uh, we've got some good response from a load of the villages that they're all getting ready for us and uh, the local pubs that we're going past, they're all getting cheered up and they're getting ready. Some are even doing barbecues and stuff. So, yeah, they're, they're looking forward to it. Excellent. Where are you heading off from and what time next Sunday? So we're leaving Louth Cattle Market at quarter past four and then we'll be heading off towards uh, Kennick Top and going through Legburn, uh, South Reston, out that way and then coming back through Manby. But there'll be a live tracker on our Facebook page so you can follow us on there uh, and someone will be doing a live stream as well so we can keep you updated to what village we're coming to next. And it's a brilliant sight to see, Taran, isn't it? And of course it's all raising money for charity. What are the charities this year? This year we're doing it for Cancer Research UK, so it's for the guys at Run for Life that do the Louth Run for Life at the uh, King's Head and that, and they do a big charity event on there, so we're working closely with them this year. So information about everything we need to know on the Facebook page, what should we search for? Just Louth Christmas Tractor Run, if you search that on Google or Facebook, it'll come up with our Facebook page and all the information's pinned at the top of the page, the route, the raffle tickets, uh, everything's on there. All right, Taron. Well, as ever, I wish you well with the Louth Christmas Charity Tractor Run taking place next Sunday. Hope it works out well. Hope you raise loads of money. Brilliant. Thank you ever so much. Next week on the Farming Programme podcast, we'll demystify net zero and carbon credits, find out who and what's on at the upcoming Oxford Farming Conference and look forward to Christmas in the country. I'm Steve Orchard. Until then, have a great week. The Farming Programme with our equipped steel stockholders with Embrook Industrial Estate Grantham, supplying the region for over 40 years.